This New Year's message is, uh, or, or series is a great series. It's on all things new, remodeling our lives. And one of the scriptures that, that I thought would be a good introductory scripture for the series is one of my all-time favorites. It's Romans 12, 2, and it goes like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The first part of the scripture is all about not conforming to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what God does. That is all things new. That's how all things become new. When we allow God to transform what's going on up here and down here. Amen? That's the amazing thing about God is that he can change us where we can't change ourselves. He can do a miracle when we are stuck. And then when that happens, when, when we are transformed in our thinking and in our hearts, then something great happens. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is remodeling your life. Things change when this changes. Things change in our life Things change in our day in the things that we struggle with and the things that we deal with when this changes and this changes. And, and so that's what this series is about, that we'd, we get to these great points of spiritual truth that would change our thinking and then it would change our actions and we would walk in the will of God. Do you guys want that? Because there's nothing better than walking in the promise and the presence of God. When I think of remodeling, I think of two people. One is Sarah Winchester. Anybody know the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose? Yes. What a place. What a place. Sarah Winchester is the, uh, is the wife of the Winchester uh, guy who invented the gun, the Winchester gun, right? And, and, uh, and she had a lot of money when he died, and she built a house, and then she had some crazy ideas up here. She thought that if she kept building over and over and over, over 35 years she built and rebuilt and teared down and rebuilt, that, that she would live forever. She wouldn't die and the demons wouldn't get her. She, she had a lot of really bad thinking, stinking thinking, I call it. Any of you have stinking thinking? She had stinking thinking and that's what she did. And if you look at this picture, you can see a picture of, of the house. That's the house. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite big. Now, in Utah, that's just a, a cottage. But in San Jose, that is gigantic. That is gigantic, right? That, there is 160 rooms in this house. That's a lot of rooms. There are 10,000 windows. Could you imagine cleaning those windows? 10,000 windows? It's crazy. I mean... I think we have like 20 in our house. To think that one house has 10,000 windows. It has 2,000 doors. 2,000 doors. 52 skylights. 47 fireplaces. 40 bedrooms. You could do a retreat with that, you know? 40 bedrooms. 40 staircases. 6 kitchens. 3 elevators. 2 basements. And 1 stinking shower. Phew! Don't want to go to that house. They took a shower once a year whether they needed it or not back then. 
And, you know, what she did was just kept building and building and building and building. And, and you, uh, she thought that if she kept building, that things were going to go well in her life. And so she put on the other slide. She, she, she built stairways that led to nowhere. And she, she just tried to figure out how can I build and keep building. And so she would build things and then tear them down and build them again. Or she would make, th- this stairway goes to no, absolutely nowhere. That's an empty door. That's a door that goes to nowhere. That's a stairway that goes to nowhere. That's another stairway. I mean, it was crazy what she did. That's remodeling, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, my mom likes to remodel and I like to call her the, Sarah Winchestine of San Jose, because she lives in there too. She's the Jewish Sarah Winchester, and she, she remodels. She doesn't remodel for that reason, but she likes to remodel, and, and she is constantly doing things in her life. And when God remodels us, though, he transforms us. He changes us like nothing else. And you could work, 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 work on all the things in your life to try to make them exactly the way you want it. But when you hand it over to God and surrender to God, that's when things come in order. And you don't wind up with doors to nowhere and 10,000 windows. You wind up with a life that is in order and healed and whole and full of life. And that's what we're talking about today. You can't remodel, though, what you don't own. And, and so the question of ownership is an important question. That's the question I'm bringing to you today. The question of ownership. Who owns us? Who owns this world? And how do we respond because of it? Who has title on this world? That's the first question I want to ask. Who has title on this world? You know, uh, I have a car. It's 23 years old. 23 years old. It's a Honda. It only has 145,000 miles on it. So it's got, I don't know, another 23 years maybe, right? (laughs) That'd be cool, huh? I don't think I'd be able to drive it then. It's a stick shift trying to get my son to drive it, but he doesn't like the stick on it. And it, it was, it's great to have title on that car. I own that car. I've owned that car for 18 years. That's a pretty cool thing, you know? Everybody has car payments. I have a car payment on my other car. But this car, man, I could run it into the ground until I die probably. And I have title on it. I have the pink slip. It's in the drawer and I don't need to worry about it. I own this car. And I'll tell you, I remember the, the day I, I, I got that title, I was really excited. I had no idea that it would still be around 23 years later. But um, title is important. It, it denotes ownership. It denotes ownership. So who has title on this world? You know, when you buy a house, they do a title search. Is that right? They do a title search. They want to see, is this house sellable? Can it be sold by the person who's representing this house? And does it have any liens on it? Which means, is is there a debt on it? So that, let's say, a contractor, any contractors here? 
Yay. So uh, contractors, a lot of times, if they don't get paid, what they'll do is they'll put a lien on your house. Hopefully you don't have any of those, but it's basically, I have a portion of your house when you sell it because you didn't pay me. So that's what a lien is. So a title search is, is seeing, are there any liens, encumbrances on this property? Are you a legitimate person that can sell this house? You know, I've heard of houses that were sold by people that didn't even own them. That's not a good thing. I don't want to ask if anybody here did that. And there's also like title insurance. It's like there's an insurance to just in case the title search didn't get everything so that you are covered when you buy a property. So title's important. It denotes ownership. Who has title on this world? You know, in England... You might not have known this, but in England, the queen owns everything. Did you know that? The queen owns everything. The crown is the ultimate owner of all land in England and Wales. All other owners hold an estate in land. It's called an estate in land, which is basically like a 100-year lease. It's like I can, I can use this, I can remodel, do all kinds of things, but it's only for those 100 years. So, and then it reverts back to the queen. She's the true owner. We're just the renters. And that's kind of like what this world is. And ownership is talked about a lot earlier than the English crown, a lot earlier than the real estate law that I talked about regarding houses and things. It's, it's talked about in Genesis. In Genesis, God granted Adam and Eve dominion over the land, but he did not grant to them sovereignty over the land. Sovereignty is ownership. God owns the land. God owns this world. Adam and Eve and all of us, we're here to work the world, to do the things that the owner asks us to do. In Leviticus, it says this, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. And you reside in the land as foreigners and strangers. Hmm, pretty interesting, huh? You thought you owned your property, but you don't. You only have a 100-year lease on your property. God owns it. And we are foreigners and aliens. As Larry Norman, anybody know Larry Norman? Ooh, you're old. Larry Norman's old. Larry Norman said, we're only visiting this planet. We're only visiting this planet. He was an old rock and roller, Christian rock and roller years ago, in case you didn't know. We're only visiting this planet. We are foreigners and strangers. And, and so to think that we're owners, that's a problem. That's stinking thinking, right? We have to understand that we are not owners, that we are only using this land that God owns. Psalm 24 emphasizes it even more. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything belongs to the Lord. In a world where people don't think that way, it can get a little confusing, don't you think? Yeah? Because... If you think that you own something and you're now going on your agenda related to ownership, 
but really it belongs to God, you can get in some trouble. You really could. I remember, you know, we're doing a little refresh on this place and it's going to be fun. You guys are going to see some cool things that are happening. And in order for us to do it, we had to go to the owner and say, can we please refresh our place? And we had to tell him he wanted to know all the things we're doing and stuff like that. But when God owns things and we're doing it his way, we can trust him that he's going to take us in the right direction. So the second question is, who has title on me? Who has title on you? If you were to do a title search on your life, what would come up? I mean, really, what would come up? Because for me, I know that... I've really struggled with this in my life, with God being the owner, you know? I've struggled. One of the areas I've struggled the most is with time because I think my time is my own. But we're going to see in a little while that my time is not my own. It, it really is God's time. And I have to figure out what to do with that. And then, you know, that's a lean on my life is, is my time. You know, it, it kind of takes a little bit of ownership away from, from God in that. Uh, I have a few others. Some of them are, some of them are pizza. <laughs> oh, gosh. Pizza. It's rough, I'll tell you. Pizza has a lean on my life. Pizza... You know, as I, it used to be a lot more. It used to be like a 30% ownership stake. Now it's down a little. I have it a little more under control. Down, down, down. <laughs> but, you know, there are things in my life that I've struggled with, and I'll share some more as we go along, but these are, these are some things in my life that I've struggled with. Oreos. What's that? Oreos. Oh, thank you very much for bringing up my worst one. <laughs> Gosh. Do you know that Oreo made their own uh, cookie butter Oreo? You know, remember, do you remember that I actually called them up and told them they should? And they did. Isn't that cool? These people are saying, what is he talking about? <laughs> so I've had some leans in my life, as you can tell, Oreo is definitely one of it. So we're going to look at the scripture. This is my key scripture for today. It's in, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, as, as we talk about this, this scripture is specifically talking about sexual sin, Paul is. However, the point of this, the whole directive of this comes from the principle that I really want to nail as we go through this scripture. All right, so I don't want you to get bogged down in the sexual sin nature. However, we are going to address it because it's an important part. God owns our bodies, which is the first point that I'll be talking about. God owns our bodies. And, and so sexual sin is, is a real problem. If we, if we want to see our lives remodeled, we want to see God move us forward in our lives, we have to recognize that he owns our bodies. But the, the main point is a much more encompassing point, and that has to do with ownership, the question of ownership, okay? So let, let's, I'll, I'll read this to you right now. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, we'll do it in portions. This is the first one. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, 
but I will not be mastered by anything. You save food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So what we have here is Paul repeating the arguments of the Corinthians. All right, the first one is, I have the right to do anything. Doesn't that sound like an owner? I have the right to do anything. And that's a problem. That's stinking thinking. Because that is an abuse of the grace of God. Anybody know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in World War II. And he could have done anything However, instead, what he did was obey the Lord, his owner, and he planned an attempt on Hitler's life so that thousands and thousands and millions would not die. And because of it, he died. And he talked about cheap grace versus costly grace. Cheap grace is, oh, I've been forgiven so I could do whatever I want. And that just doesn't work. You will be forgiven by God. But when you do whatever you want, you bring destruction in your life because you are not living out the owner's agenda for your life. Costly grace is the grace of Christ. The grace that cost Jesus Christ his life so that you can live. And who doesn't want to follow the one who loves him so dearly as Christ himself. Costly grace is recognizing that it wasn't just a flippant thing on God's part to say, oh, I magnanimously forgive you. But it cost him his very son who died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, We are totally transformed by his love and so dearly want to follow him. I remember when I I came to faith in Christ, I had, I had to, I had to serve him. I had to. I I found wherever I could to serve him. My friends and people people at school. Matter of fact, there's someone here who, a a new person who came to our church who actually went to the same school I did where I got saved, Irvine, uh, uh, University High School in Irvine, California. And I had to proclaim the goodness of God. It was irresistible because of the love of God. That's what the grace of God does to you. Such a powerful thing. And then Paul's talking about, well, if you do anything you want, it's not going to be beneficial and it's going to be enslaving. It's going to enslave you if you do whatever you want. And the idea of benefit is an interesting concept because if it's benefit then it, it kind of demands that there's something that comes from it that is going to be appreciated. So what Paul is saying here is that if you do whatever you want, the benefit is not going to be you, which 
is when you do whatever you want, you, you get the benefit. Isn't that right? Yes? Are you following with me? Because I'm not doing a very good job explaining it. <laughs> if, if, if you do whatever you want, you get the benefit. Right? And, and, and you, you kind of get whatever, whatever you aimed for, that's what you're going to get. But you're also going to get bondage. You're going to be enslaved. And so Paul said, let the benefit come from what you do. In other words, who is going to get the benefit? God is going to get the benefit. And God is going to bless us. And we're not going to be enslaved. We're not going to be enslaved. If it benefits you, it's your agenda. And slavery will follow. If it's beneficial to God, and in other words, you're not going to do whatever you want, and it's beneficial to God, you're doing what He is asking you to do. You're going to see life, and you won't be mastered by anything. You know, who would have thought 10 years ago that we'd all be mastered by this phone? (laughs) I've been mastered by my phone. Oh, shh. I didn't do that first service, but you guys are much goofier, so I'll do it. (laughs) Jody pays me not to sing, so don't tell her. (laughs) Who would have thought 10 years ago that we would be enslaved to this little glass device? It's crazy, huh? Oh, I got a text. Oh, I got a lot of texts. Do you know what research says is that... What? Research says that we use this five hours a day. Is that crazy? Do you believe that? Five hours a day. That's 35 hours a week. Guess what? That's your whole weekend. Your whole weekend. That's crazy, huh? Just enslaved to this little device. Oh, I got something on my watch, too. Chase, what did you send me, Chase? Chase, send me a poopy emoji. <laughs> Chase! <laughs> I'm trying to be serious here. Gosh. <laughs> We're mastered by this device. <laughs> oh. I'll put it away before Chase sends me something else. Now, now Paul talks about this argument about eating food. It's an interesting argument. The argument is, is that the Corinthians were saying, hey, um, we can basically do whatever we want with our bodies because it's just like eating, and that's not a problem, right? Everybody has to eat. And Paul says, wait a minute. The stomach and food, they're out of here come the coming of Christ. They're not going to last for eternity, but your, your heart is, your soul is. And it's, it's not just a natural thing, what you do with your body, like eating. Eating is kind of natural and depends on how you eat. I've seen some people eat, and it wasn't very natural. <laughs> but I, I want to make a serious point here because this argument, yes, I am going to make a serious point, that this argument is an argument that is in our culture today. It says, well, I was born this way, so 
Why not? Food's for stomach, stomach's for food. I like this sex and that. I like to do this. That's the way I was born. It's the same argument. And God says through Paul here, however, your body is not meant for just anything, but it's meant for the Lord. It's meant for the Lord. So yes, we have inclinations in different directions, but we cannot use that as an argument to say, well, it's okay then. It's not. Just like any other sin, it is not okay. And God wants to bring freedom in our lives. Freedom in our lives. The rest of the scripture goes on, verse 15 through 17. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, when you study the Bible and you see a repetitive word that is not just like a the or a or something like that, it's a word like unite or united, you want to look and see what is God trying to emphasize here. And that is this understanding of united is, is like cleaving. It's like leaving and cleaving, like marriage. And so we can cleave in a way that's unhealthy, in a, in, a, in a wrong sexual way with our bodies, or we could cleave to the Lord. One brings death, one brings life. I'm not saying this if you're living with somebody right now. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm not saying this to offend you. I'm saying this because this sets people free. Amen? Amen? God wants to set us free to not live in bondage, to not live in insanity. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and we are to be united to him. So he owns us. And now let's read this last part in in verses 18 through 20. It says, flee from sexual immorality. I just want to stop there because I just want you to know the word of God is powerful. It is so powerful. This, these four words told to a crazy teenager. Oh, I was a 20-something. I was like 21. Who was living an insane sexual lifestyle and couldn't imagine living without cocaine every single night. We're told those words. And now I'm alive because of it. And I'm telling you, I am alive because of it. That's the word of God. The word of God is powerful. If you wonder why you should read the Bible, that's enough, don't you think? Four words changed my life that somebody shared with me. And that's another point. Share truth with people. I am so glad that my friend Ken that I went to when I was really struggling and seeing all kinds of people die around me and wondering what am I to do 
And he told me, let me give you four simple words. Four simple words. Flee from sexual immorality. And at that very moment, God set me on a new course of freedom and life. He became my my 100% owner at that point. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And now Paul gives the reason for us to to live in purity. All other reasons are discarded. All other excuses are gone. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. God owns us. And not only that, God settles for all time. For all time, he settles the title search on your heart. You're his. You are not your own anymore. If you know Christ, you are his. And that is a very good thing. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. At a price. The reason why that was written like that is to emphasize the insanely precious, wonderful, costly price that was paid for us. It was not a sale. It was the highest price there could ever be. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. First Peter 1 says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ. There is nothing more wonderful than what God did for us on the cross and dying for us. And with that, he purchased us. We are owned by God. And that is the most wonderful thing in the world, to recognize and to live out. And therefore, we should honor God with our bodies and with all the resources that God has placed at our disposal. So I want to just talk for a few minutes about what resources God has given us to steward because they're important to look at. We want to identify them, and I encourage you to think and pray about this, not just today, but throughout the next week, about how these resources are being used by you for the purpose of bringing life to yourself and those around you. The first is our body. This, this scripture in 1 Corinthians, I think, just speaks to it so profoundly, is that, that our body is the Lord's. We were purchased with a price, the price of Christ. Our body is the temple of God, and we have received the Holy Spirit. So it's not like there's a void there anymore. If you know Christ, we are occupied by the Holy Spirit of God, the temple of God. And because of that, we have no right to misuse our body because we are not the master 
of our bodies. Have you ever thought of that when you thought about yourself? That you are not the master of your body. What does that mean? That means that that we need to think of what he thinks we should do with our bodies, what he thinks we should eat, what he, how he thinks we should exercise and care for our body and our health. We have that question before us. What should we do with our bodies now that we are the steward and God is the owner? And our thoughts. Our thoughts are an important part of who we are. And it's a crazy place inside of here. I don't know about your brain, but... It's nuts in there. I'm serious. I mean, the things that fly through my brain. And I think to myself, wow, did I just think that? Did I just imagine that? Was that a fantasy I just had? Wow, how did that happen? We don't have a right to allow those things in. When they come, we need to address it. The church has far too long been passive with what's going through our minds. But we need to recognize that as what we think helps us to become who we are, the things that are inside of us, in our heart, in our mind, those are the things that are going to come out. It's not what we eat physically. It's what we eat spiritually. What, what movies we watch. What shows we watch. What books we read. These are all things we need to be very, very careful about. Philippians says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know what that says to me? Is that there's a whole bunch of other things that I could be thinking about, but God says, I am able by his power, by his spirit, to think about things that are going to bring life. Not things that are going to bring death. Not fear. Not anxiety. We don't have to think these things. We don't have to be, uh, suffer under them. We could suffer under, suffer under. We could live under the promises of God that set us free. And allow those things to change our thinking. Fantasy, lies, fears, hate, lust. These are all things that can happen up here. And probably for all of us do at any given time. But God's the owner. What's his agenda? Well, he kind of said it, didn't he? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, excellent. These are the things we're supposed to be thinking about. And we can. We can because of his grace and his Holy Spirit living in us. And then time. Jody did a really good job talking about time last week, don't you think? So I'm not going to talk about it too much, but I do want to emphasize it because it's one of my biggest issues. And in Job 14:5, it says, you have decided the length of our days. You know how many months we will live and we are not given a minute longer. 
He created time. He spoke and the world was created. And because the world was created, because mass happened, time happened. And now we live in a world that has time. And because of that, he's the one who built it. He's the one who invented it. He's the one who owns it. He owns time. I remember working hourly at restaurants. I did a lot of restaurant work when I was younger. And, and when you work an hourly job, it's, every hour is accounted for in your day. And uh, your boss is watching you hourly. They're not looking. Uh, jobs that are hourly usually don't require like massive scope projects that go over several months. They're just seeing what are you doing now? What are you doing now? And that's the way God is calling us to live. What are we doing with our time? For me, this is one of my big leans in my life because it's so easy for me to say, okay, I'm tired, that's it. My time's up serving others. I'm going to go take a nap or I'm going to go watch a show. I'm selfish with this. This is one of my real areas that, that I struggle with on a daily basis. But God keeps lovingly pushing the boundary on me so that I realize on a regular basis that my time is not my own. I was bought with a price. Bought with a price. Money is the last one. First Samuel says, The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He's the one in charge of money. He owns all the money. We're just stewards of the money. We're just using it. The parable of the talents is a really good example of that where he hands out some, some money basically to people and, and he says, okay, I'm going away. Let's see what you do with it. That's his expectation. He wants to know what are you going to do with your money? What are you going to do with your time? that meets my agenda? What are you going to do with your body that meets my agenda? What are you going to do with your thoughts that accomplishes my agenda? That's his desire. That's his desire. How do I know that? In Malachi, God is basically pointing at people and he's saying, why are you robbing me? Because you are not giving the tithe. Why are you robbing me? That sounds pretty serious. Well, he owns it. And he asked you to give 10%. He asked me to give 10% to the place where we worship. And so, when we don't, we suffer under a little bit of inquisition from God. What are you doing here? Why, what are you doing with your money? Are you not doing what I asked you to do? Are you not following my agenda with your funds? Again, this is not to condemn anybody. The idea of allowing God to be the owner of your life is so that you can live in freedom and I can live in freedom. And I know this from personal experience. So don't be offended if I just said that to you and you're offended. Because God so much wants you set free. 
He wants you set free. And money is one way, a big way, especially in America, where we are mastered by something other than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So, how do we steward what God owns? Let's have the worship team come on up. How do we steward what God owns? First is, live with his intent and not your own. Live with his intent and not your own. What is his goal? For your money, for your body, for your mind, for your time. What is his intent? I know just from personal experience, I have lived in my intent a lot in my life, and it never gets me anywhere. Live in his intent and not your own. Second is live as a steward of precious resources and not like an owner. You don't own your time. You don't own your body or your mind. You don't own them. And so when you wake up, give it all to God. Usually it takes me about 45 minutes to realize I better do this in the morning just because I'm a little groggy. Okay, a lot groggy. And I, I, I'm there and I'm trying to get my coffee going, my brew going, and, and I sit down And, oh, yeah, this is not about me today. This is about you, Lord. You own my time. My time right now is yours. My body is yours. My mind is yours. My money is yours. I give it to you. Do that every day. Do that every day. Die to personal ambition and live to please him. When you do that and you seek first the kingdom of God instead of your own kingdom, what happens? Everything else is going to come. Everything you need for life and godliness is supplied to you by God. Why don't you stand with me? We're going we're gonna to respond to the Lord right now and going to read this scripture to you. Ahab and Jezebel, two very evil people in Israel that were doing their own thing with their own agenda, were killing the prophets and poor Elijah was pretty much by himself. And there was a sacrifice contest about who owns everything. And so Elijah says this. Well, I'm not going to I'm going to tell you what the contest was first. The contest was let's see, let's let's put down a sacrifice. We'll both make altars and let's see whose god takes the sacrifice. And so the first was Baal the God of Baal and these evil, evil leaders in Israel that were following their own agenda. And they cut themselves and they cried out to Baal and they yelled and screamed and nothing was consumed by fire. Their God did not show up. And then it was Elijah's turn. And Elijah, man of faith, although he wavered sometimes, he 
He said, okay, we're going to do this now. But first, you need to pour hundreds of gallons of water on the sacrifice. Because we're going to make sure that you know that God is the owner. That God is the owner of this world. And not Baal and no one else. And so they poured hundreds of gallons of water on the altar. And then God, by his great grace, just consumed that offering. And spoke loud and clear that he has title on this world and on our lives. And this is what Elijah said. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if he holds title over all, then follow him. But if Baal is God and he holds title over all, then follow him. A very sad thing what is said next. The people said nothing. Well, today we're not going to say any, we're not going to say nothing. Do you want to say nothing, or do you want to say something? Did I confuse you there? <laughs> today we're going to say something, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And as we sing this song, if there's something that God has spoken to you about that you need to, that you have, it's a lean on your life, on your title, and you need to address it with your body or with your mind or your finances, in any of these areas, your money, I want to encourage you to come forward and, and stay here. And we're going to lay it at the altar. We're going to use this as an altar today. Lay it at the altar and let God consume it. Amen?